Hello and welcome to this video test podcast. My name is Tesh Pandya, I'm a, med- I'm a medical student at the University of Manchester and I'm part of the BGSM editorial team. Joining me today is Chris Brammer, a physio at the Manchester Institute of Health and Performance with a clinical interest in biomechanics. Chris has worked extensively with British Athletics and today he's going to talk about running biomechanics and how we can use it to inform the decisions. Chris, thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you very much, Tesh. So tell us a bit more about why you're interested in biomechanics. Um, I've always run myself, uh, personally, so when I was a young kid we used to, I used to train for sprint events, particularly the 400, and the coaches then would always have a huge um, influence on running drills and cueing us for our biomechanics of the way we run. So I think even back then it started to resonate with me and sort of question um, why we were doing this sort of biomechanical intervention, why we were so concerned about the way we, we ran as a technique element. So as a physio, I then started to start to read a lot more into, into the research by different um, authors and different researchers to see why biomechanics were influencing us and what impact that was having. When I started looking back into the research of um, other authors and, and biomechanics and running injuries, one of the, the key themes is that everybody tends to focus um, on an individual pathology and on a specific pathology. And what we start to find looking at those specific pathologies is very similar kinematic patterns and biomechanical patterns that are contributing to all these different injuries. For example, you know, hip adduction angles have been largely cited to be associated with patellofemoral pain. They've also been associated with iliotibial band syndrome and medial tibial stress syndrome. So it starts to suggest that you know maybe there is a, a, a kinetic link and a kinematic link uh, amongst different segment levels that are contributing to global tissue stress. So what we started to try and do um, through my research here is to look at whether or not there are uh, global kinematic patterns that contribute to tissue stress and injuries on uh, multiple uh, different levels. So to do that we took large groups of uh, different pathologies that we had seen here in the clinic and we sort of grouped them together as one big group and thought, do you know what, is there a kinematic way or a kinematic pattern that is associated with global running injury. And the key themes that we started to pick up out of that was we started to find all runners had elevated contralateral pelvic drop angles, all runners had a forward leaning trunk posture, and at initial contact all the runners were landing with an outstretched limb characterised by extended knee at initial contact and a dorsiflexed ankle at initial contact. So we started to pick up on the fact that there were key themes or key biomechanical patterns amongst these different injuries. Do you think runners adopt their mechanics in response to the event they are competing in? Um, I think the, the adoption of different mechanics will depend on one, their event and a degree of their genetics, their underlying strength characteristics about each individual and the extent in which they, they push themselves or they uh, attempt to train. I think on some occasions what you would get are those people who try to find the path of least resistance to run, a, a way that's more e- economical for them to run. Often this doesn't necessarily mean it's a good running form, and I think in those instances you can get people who um, adopt negative techniques or kinematic patterns that rely upon passive structures like your, your iliotibial band, that you know, some of these patterns that they adopt are those to try and adopt an a, economical way of running, um, and um, these patterns may 
contribute to um, potential injury risk. How is the research that you've done clinically relevant to working in athletics? The research that we have done I think is clinically relevant because it shows that there are distinct mechanical patterns that are clearly visualisable um, by most clinicians and by most coaches and it suggests that there is a link between these patterns and different injuries. So we know from a theoretical standpoint that these patterns can contribute to tissue stress on, on multiple different levels. For example, the contralateral pelvic drop increases iliotibial band tension. That may have implications for patellofemoral um, tracking and patellofemoral joint stress. It may have implications for iliotibial band stress. And also it may impact on the center of pressure that's placed through the foot and the center of mass distributions. That can then have consequences and knock-on effects for lower limb injuries such as Achilles tendinopathy and medial tibial stress syndrome. The fact that these biomechanical patterns are so easily visualizable from a clinical perspective I think is, is great because we could potentially use this for influencing our rehabilitation um, protocols with people to address faulty mechanics and we could potentially use these as preventative methods to try and prevent faulty mechanics from beginning in the first place and hopefully have an impact on reducing long-term injury development. If a, we're going to go on to a case study now. So a runner comes into clinic with iliotibial band syndrome and thinks there's a problem with his biomechanics. What would you be saying to them? There's a, a host of different reasons. So the first thing I would say to this runner is that we need to consider the injury in the context of their particular situation. It's not always just a biomechanical cause. We have to look at their training history, their training loads. We have to look at their strength characteristics around their, uh, around their lower limbs, around their hips, for example, and consider the biomechanics. So for some instances, I do get people who come into the clinic and think that their problem is biomechanical, and they may have just acutely overwhelmed the musculoskeletal system through poor training habits. And we take this into consideration along with their biomechanics and try to build a clinical picture for each individual of where we feel the acute rise in tissue stress occurred. From a biomechanical standpoint, yes, we think that there are biomechanics that contribute to iliotibial band syndrome, particularly your contralateral pelvic drop, hip adduction angles, or even hip abduction angles. So we need to consider these biomechanical uh, this biomechanical picture in relation to that particular individual. And what we do about that biomechanical picture, or what we find from that biomechanical picture, may influence what we do in our intervention patterns. We know in current research, there appears to be distinct subgroups that are of kinematics that are associated with iliotibial band syndrome. In particular, we know there are people who are running with increased knee adduction, um, this is associated with potentially like a knee varus alignment or a knee varus appearance. And that may place stress onto the iliotibial band through increasing uh, tension onto the lateral structures. Alternatively, female athletes tend to have increased hip adduction, which may increase the strain rate through the iliotibial band. Now, depending on which one of those patterns people fit into, a knee varus alignment or a, a knee valgus alignment may change the whole course of the treatment in terms of what we do. For example, hip adduction angles and knee valgus angles may respond really well to gait retraining using things like real-time um, training, 
mirror gait retraining or even simple interventions like increasing the step rate. However, your nevarus type situation w might not necessarily respond well to that. Currently, there's no evidence to suggest that you can change a nevarus alignment through gait retraining. Um, so what we might start to change our focus on is to more of a strength-based approach or even using things like internal cueing. So making the intervention tailored unique to potential strength deficits amongst that group of people or even going off-piste away from what we currently know in evidence and thinking can we use an internal cue or a, an external visual cue to try and uh, change a distinctly different biomechanical pattern. At the Manchester Institute uh, Health and Performance we have a 3D biomechanic uh, bio system which is quite unique to the UK. How do we? How has that improved the quality of your assessments? Here at the MIP, I'm very fortunate in the fact that I have access to such great facilities. Um, one of the key things that we have is the 3D gait analysis software and the force plate data from an indoor running track. So we can actually start to paint a picture and look at how runners run in their natural environment. And using of these systems, particularly the kinematics, we can start to quantify the joint angles of different segments. You know, this might allow me, or this does allow me, to sort of pick up on subtleties of someone's movement that I might not necessarily have been able to see with the visual eye. Added into that, we have the, the, the use of uh, nine force plates in, in a row, so we can always get someone's foot strike and, on a force plate in a natural running environment and see how the impact forces may be also affecting that individual. So it gives me a really in-depth view of individual mechanics that we know are associated with injury. So we can start to flag up on where potential mechanical, mechanical abnormalities may be occurring. And not only that, but it allows us to quantify the degree of any sort of movement. So we can evaluate our interventions and we can see if we're actually changing what we're hypothesizing is causing the problem in the first place. And finally, what would you say to any physio about the value of uh, biomechanics? For me, I can't assess any runner unless I've seen them run. I, I feel it's a necess necessity to see the way someone runs. It gives you a, an in-depth understanding of um, how structures may be being stressed. And I think in a clinic room alone, we, we can't predict what someone's going to do from a, from a movement perspective. I think you need to be able to see how a person runs when they step out onto a track or onto a treadmill and trying to fit that into the context of how that movement pattern may be contributing to an individual's tissue stress. Not only that, but then also it can give you key clues to use and inform your clinical assessment as to why a person might be running in the way that they are and why the tissue may be being overloaded overloaded and why that might be contributing to that particular injury. Without watching that person run, I, I, I feel like you're playing a game of pin the tail on the donkey and you, you are just trying to, to, to hypothesize based on um, often static unrelatable measures such as uh, um, hand-based strength tests. So for me, you've got to watch them run and try and fit that into the context of the whole picture of why they're doing that and how it's stressing tissues. That's perfect. Thanks very much, Chris, for coming on. Uh, there'll be links in the description about some of the research Chris has been doing, and uh, hopefully we'll hear more from him in the coming years as he publishes the findings of his PhD. 
Um, until then, uh, thank you very much for listening and I hope you have a great active day.